Hey guys, Tyson here. This is the Relaxed Running Podcast. Welcome back to another week. Hey, we've got a massive guest on the show today. We have the great man, Stuart McSwain. Uh, if you haven't heard of Stu yet, you're in for a treat. Here's some of his numbers just to put into context how much of a quality athlete we sat down with. Uh, Stuart's run 331 for 1500 metres, uh, 734 for 3000 metres, 1305 for 5k. Um, he's eyeing off a couple of Craig Mottram's records at the moment. I think in the next 12 to 18 months, maybe two years, some of those records have the potential to fall. It was, it was really exciting to sit down with, a, with an athlete like Stu. I've known Stu for years. We actually used to train together under the same coach, Rod Griffin, up in Ballarat, and uh, he's about eight years younger than me. So back in the day, he was just a young bloke setting the foundations to his running career. So to, uh, so to fast forward eight years or nine years and, and just see the progression that's taken place in, in this guy's life is, is really inspiring and, and really exciting. He's a bloke that I cheer for whenever I see his name on the start list. So I pick his brain about uh, training and recovery and diet and travel and a whole heap of stuff that, that's going to be valuable to, to you as a, as a distance athlete or, as, or to you as a runner. Um, we're joined by the guru, Matty Williams, who uh, who always uh, throws in a couple of really good questions. So you're in for a treat. I just wanted to say we got stuck last minute. We uh, we didn't have a room to record in, so we went looking for a local cafe and ended up in a subway. Uh, it was the first time I'd been in subway for about 10 years. Um, we did our best to, to block out the background noise, but there's a couple of beeps here and there where you'll hear customers coming in and out. So Forgive me for that. I'm, I'm doing my best to, to address it and to try and get a consistent room where we can avoid all those outside noises. But uh, for today, just let those those couple of beeps slip. It's not too bad anyway, so it shouldn't bother you. Um, guys, I'm, I'm excited to share this one with you. This is a this is a really cool this is a really cool episode. Let me get out of your way uh, and introduce me, the Guru, and Stewie McSwain. We're sitting in a subway, so it's different. It is, it is different. We, um, I just walked in and tried to tried to give the bloke a couple of extra bucks just to turn the music down. Accepted it through the form of drinks, and then I reckon just pumped the music back up. So yeah, if, uh, for, the, for the listeners, uh, I'm sorry if you can hear a background track of Ricky Martin or whatever's playing right now, uh, but just consider it a treat. Uh, oh, yeah, thanks for coming on, bro. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm looking forward to it. Mate, it's going to be fun. It's, uh, I, we sort of went over it a little bit before we even hit record, but... The last time the three of us were, were sort of jogging around together was you're about four foot one. Um, we're living in Ballarat. I reckon I had you covered in the PB department and was running around with a bit of a strut. And what's that? Ten years, ten years later, you run thirteen oh five. So that's a sc- I can't believe between the three of us we've run thirteen oh five. That's a ridiculous. Uh, that's a ridiculous kind of progression. I'm, I'm, I was saying to you before. I don't. I don't want to make this too interview. I just want to pick Sue McSwain's brain on on what he does outside of running, what you do to yeah, keep yourself entertained, what the circuit's like. Um, pick your brain on a few little tips and tricks and stuff like that. And um, mate, there's going to be so many people losing their mind about this podcast interview. We've got the guru here as well. He's back for his first sober conversation. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, too. Glad you let everyone know at home how I was the last few times, but yeah. Yeah, it was funny. Um, yeah, so I said to, to Maddie a while ago, I was like, dude, um, come, we're going to start this podcast. We'll get you on. You're the guru. He goes, that's disgusting. I'm not coming on if you call me that. I said, yeah, no worries. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just taken off. Everyone loves the guru. And uh, so the first day we came here to do a podcast, I said, mate, like, we've got some beers in the fridge. Do you want a couple just to calm your nerves? How many did you get through? Well, I said, yeah, I love some, but we... Bit of clarification, we didn't actually record it in your, in your living room. So I was sitting in your living room, and your wife just hands me about five studies and tells me just to walk up to him juggling this. <laughs> it was really not to happen. So. Oh, man, so how long have you been back for now? Uh, so I got back pretty much, yeah, two weeks ago. So it's good to be back. I think I left, yeah, in, uh, pretty much the end of May. So a long way, a long time away from home, but yeah, it's always the best part of the year coming back. You're on the end of season break, and then yeah, just catching up with the people you haven't seen for so many months. So um, it was. What does the break look like? Um, so this year's a little bit different. I kind of uh, decided I was going to go on a Euro trip. So I had a few mates in my road um, over the evening to after the Ineos Challenge. So I kind of decided, yeah, I'm going to, this is the year I'm going to actually go on a Euro trip. So nice. I spent about 10 days traveling and then came back home and then slowly started training again. And I was pretty much started back doing sessions this week. So I've had probably a month of downtime, not, not running too much. So yeah. I'm starting to try and get 
get moving again and get ready for the next season. So when you, that's one thing that I don't think people outside the running circle realise is when you're travelling as a runner from race to race, you're not necessarily just travelling around and getting the chance to see all the countries. You sort of you're there to race, you're there to rest, you're up in the hotel room, just sort of trying to recover and prepare for your next event. Was it nice to like just get a chance to just to travel as a tourist a little yeah, bit? Yeah, that's kind of why I decided to do it. I know like. I went to a lot of cool countries this year. I remember going to Paris, but you barely see anything. Like, you see the Eiffel Tower from the hotel or whatever, but you don't actually get to see stuff. So that was kind of one of the reasons I wanted to actually go on a Euro trip. Um, you don't really get to go out, see the nightlife, see the pubs or whatever. So I was like, I'm going to do it this year. Um, and I was just like, enough. I had a few mates already over there. So we decided, yeah, we might as well hit 10 days pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. home. Um, I've heard a little rumour you like the pubs as well. Uh, yeah, I think it's kind of depends. If you've had a good season, you're kind of ready to let your hair down. Yeah. Um, obviously, a few things went right this year, so I was pretty ready to celebrate. So you could um, work in ten days, oh, Yeah, you could, yeah. As well. you could as well. We definitely, yeah, we're trying pretty hard over there. Don't, don't <laughs> so where did you go? Where did you go to see? Uh, so we went, We spent a couple of days in Austria so yeah. after the sub two challenge, and then we were a couple of days in uh, Budapest in Hungary. So that was pretty crazy. Did you go to the um? What's it called? Like the sauna, the hot pool? Yeah, the hot bar. So we, we spent a whole hour over there. Um, it's a pretty weird crowd. You see some some old fellas. Just oh, mate, you want to know what I saw there? So me, me and Jesse were sitting there. We went there for like a similar to you, apart from I hadn't just finished the world champs and Ineos. So I was just a whole day. Um, we were we were sitting in one of the pools and having like it was so relaxed. There's so many people yeah. around, and I was like, mate, this is like the most beautiful part of our trip I think I've ever been to. Anyway, we were in one of the pools, and I sort of. I dove under and um, I came back up and Jess is like, babe, you got something on your face. And I go, what, what is it? She's like, she's like, babe, just got <laughs> So I, for, I'm not kidding. I came out of the water and I had like someone else's blood clot just oh. stuck to my head. <laughs> so this is taking a turn for the worst. <laughs> so my memories of Budapest, a uh, beautiful town, beautiful city. The pools were absolutely amazing for an hour and a half. Then for eight minutes, the last eight minutes, it was uh, it was brutal. So someone, <laughs> someone's put some trouble there. I feel like you've been there, you understand, because the pools are just packed full of people. Uh-huh. Like there's hundreds of people creating these hot pools. So there's <laughs> bound to be anything in the water. But Hopefully next year you get a chance to go to Tokyo and spend a bit of time there afterwards. But if you ever get a chance to go to the onsen there, there's some sights to be seen there as well. So for those who don't know, the onsen's basically these traditional hot baths over there. Um, and clothes are not only not optional, they're actively discouraged. Choose the ordinary to strive. Except you, you go in there and all the locals are bathing themselves there. I think it's literally their baths and bathhouses. Yes. And so you get encouraged you know, to sit on all these stools and they just sort of walk you through it and show you how to do it, which is quite an uncomfortable experience. And you're sitting on these stools wondering how regularly the stools are getting washed. And, oh, you should be sweating. Yeah, it's really, it's quite a confronting experience. And, yeah. Are you already locked in to go next year? Uh, so I've got the times for the 5K and 1500, so um, I'm hopeful. Obviously, I still, you never certain for any team, yeah. so you yeah. try to pick yourself if you can. So yeah. just try and, yeah. They were actually, I don't know if it was me, you and Jock the other day talking about what what's better, because it's been a, like a crazy season. I, I had you back for a good 1500. I didn't have you back for a 331. Um, I was so glad to see you prove me wrong. But what what is yeah? What are you what are you sort of thinking? Like a, a year out from Tokyo. What's your best opinion? I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna walk in the 330. They're, oh, they're not on par, are they? You can't. I think they are. Yeah. 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 They pretty much match. So um, yeah, I don't really know. I was kind of I don't know. I was kind of known as like a 5k 10k guy. So I always knew that I kind of wanted to. Still 1500, and then obviously the year before I ran 334, and I kind of felt like I'd maybe have to go quicker. So to run 331 twice this year was kind of a good step forward in the 1500. That's what Collis Birmingham used to always say that as well. He goes, um, It wasn't just like you ran 331, and then it was like, Oh my god, still you ran 331, and it was a six second PB, and that's all we heard. You came back out and, and did it again. And Collis used to always say to, to, to Rod's boys back when we were up there, He goes, Mate, if you can start running time consistently, Run it a few times. Do you know you're ready for a, another little break? Yeah, yeah. You kind of got to. It's pretty much with any PB. I think I've run my five k PB seven oh five twice now. So it's kind of you need to hit it a couple yeah. of times before you're ready to take that next step where you can drop the, the big times where you drop ten seconds over five k or one or two seconds over fifteen hundred. So you kind of got to get to the the level first before you can take that next step. Do you consider when sort of choosing or planning out what your best event's going to be, what your best result will be, or is it more an event that you enjoy or feel more comfortable? 
Tokyo or? Um, I think it will go down to what event I think I can do, I can do the best. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, for Tokyo, the 1500 and 5k on the same time, so okay. I've got to kind of decide between them. I think I'm still leaving it up in the air depending on how the season goes, but I think I think the 5k is probably a bit easier just because you're going to get through the one round to be in the medal race. Yeah, like the 1500, you've got to get through two and then try and bring your A game for yeah. the third race. So yeah. um, I think maybe the 5k could be a bit easier, but I think any event on the world stage isn't easy. So. <laughs> So exactly when, when you say the 5k and the 1500 are on the same time, is that the, like the, the finals are on the same night or do you mean they're sort of overlapping in terms of the heats? And yeah, so I think it works out. I could be wrong, but I think it's the semi for the 1500 and the heat for the 5k on the same day. So if you wanted yeah. to do both, you'd have to, you'd have to race twice on the same day. It's bizarre, it's not tailing it. reminds me of Safar Kazan's double in Doha, where she doubled in the 10 and the 15 and just skipped the five altogether because of its yeah. one-table clashes. Yeah, you'd, you'd think that they would have more, you know. Yeah, because it's kind of like a yeah. common double, so I'm yeah. surprised they haven't, but I think they're just restricted for time, really. Yeah. So it's like, obviously, it doesn't, doesn't go for that many days, so yeah. they kind of got to yeah. in. Because we were at, um, me and my dad went to, to watch the 2004 Olympic Games, and we were there, we were there the night Al Garouz won his, his 1500, and then he also doubled up and, and won the 5K, so is that... Was he toying with that same sort of schedule that you're talking about, or was that that would have been back in the? It's a weird, it's a weird clash to have, though, because uh, a, a skill set like yours with that speed, that endurance, like you'd be, as we said, like you match the you match the the times up across the board, and you go, okay, well these are pretty comparable. It'd be hard to, you'd think they'd make it more of a clash for the 10k rather than the 5k, 1500. Yeah, I think it's probably one of the most common doubles. I think you can see that it's probably the third most after the 815, yeah. and then the 5k and 10k is pretty common as well, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's, they kind of, they probably don't look into it as much as they maybe could. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just what it is. I'll kind of look at the timetable and the, how I'm going form-wise and then I'll, yeah, I'll pick from there. Yeah, so when you when you cross the line this year in 331, what was going through your head? Because I always, mate, Ryan Gregson, he's, he's coming on in a couple of weeks. I reached out to him, yeah, the most creepy move I've done. I messaged him and his wife and said, hey guys, like this to a podcast. And the other two, I'm glad they, are, I'm glad they agreed. So he's coming, I'm going to ask him this question soon, but, He'd be, he'd be getting a couple of little shaky knees every time you line up for a 15, wouldn't he? Yeah, I guess he will wait That'll be a goal next year to try and run close to that 3.30 or maybe even below if the race is there. But I think, yeah, I think Monaco, when I ran 3.31 the first time, I was like, kind of, that was a big surprise, obviously, a couple yeah. of second PB. But, and obviously the race, I felt like I ran a really good race there. But I know when I ran the second time in Paris, I was like, there were so many things that got went wrong. I got boxed. I got pushed by um, McCluthy, who's obviously... Yo, mate, you don't, you don't get... One of the biggest guys in the field, so I was, once he hits you, you're going. Uh-huh. Is, he the, is he the Moroccan or Algerian? Uh, the Algerian, yeah. Yeah, carefully. Uh-huh. Yes, I know, yeah. biting my tongue. <laughs> and then, I don't know, I think 750, and I pretty much got tripped, so I almost stacked it. So that's why I was like... I ran 331, and I was like, when I crossed the line, I was like, I don't know how I ran 331. Dude, I watched that. I saw the ring. That was a big trip you took. Yeah, I was thinking when I crossed the line, maybe I ran 334. Like, that's I'm like, sure, there's a couple of seconds there. So many things have gone wrong. So, that was like, Monaco was like, I was absolutely stoked with, but Paris, I was like, there's so many things that haven't gone right here. I don't know how I've run 331. So, that is the most disgusting place to find yourself, isn't it? It's, it's so funny, man, because I've, I've known you since you're a little fella. And, like, it, it's no disrespect, but you, you look at a, a group of 14-year-old kids running around and it's hard to pick who the most talented kid is. Like, we were all saying on the way on the way here to Subway that um, it was it was funny. It was you, Leighton Sullivan, um, Jack Davies running around. You could have thrown a blanket over a lot of your, you know, over a 1,500 in terms of how close you were. Yeah, I think, I think in our 14s, I was probably hanging on the back of most of the sessions. Yeah. I remember, especially the track workouts, I'd be, especially when they got going speed-wise, I was nowhere near it. So... I think it's just kind of hard to tell when everyone's juniors. I think everyone's got a different developments. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Well, well, yeah, that's one thing I always thought as well. I thought yeah, it'd be great at the distance, but I didn't know you had that much. If you had told me as a 14-year-old kid that you would have run 331, and I, I reckon you can break 330, and potentially run 329, 328, whatever you're going to run, it would have blown my mind. Have you always have you always been a little bit of a speedster? Or what's yeah. that? Where does that come from? I don't think so. I don't, it even surprised me until last year or two that I was like, maybe I am quicker than what I thought. Because <laughs> I know when I was at school, like, I think, maybe I ran 356 or 1500, and I know, I, don't think I, ran, I hadn't broken two, I think I ran 201. 
in one of the Bella Inner Clubs. So yeah. there's no real signs that I was good at the shorter stuff. I was pretty much a crossy, long distance guy. So <laughs> it wasn't until probably, yeah, I was maybe 21, 22, I was like, maybe I am quicker than what I thought. And then I was like, I kind of wouldn't mind doing a 1500 or whatever. And then, yeah, kind of just went from there. What do you attribute that to? Was it just like a slow build up of training over the years? Or do you think you got to a stage where you physically matured? Or? Uh, I think it was definitely a lot physically matured. But yeah. I think also it's like, you start believing, like, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah. you're not, you don't view guys, yourself as a fast guy, so you're going into 1500s being like, oh, it's not my band, like, it will, it will obviously help the longer stuff, but I'm yeah. no good. And then kind of, you start thinking, oh, maybe I'm a little bit better than what I thought. <laughs> so, I think, it, yeah, it's a bit, obviously physically, but I think, yeah, belief, like, having a bit more belief that you are, you can do well with the shorter stuff has made Definitely a big difference for me the last couple of years. Have you ever you, have you ever run an 800? Do you know what you can run for eight? Uh, so I've never actually, so I've run one since I ran that 201 in school, so I've never officially broken <laughs> it. Uh, but I know, I know in Monaco I closed the last 800 in like 152. Yeah. So I know I, I can at least run 152 <laughs> in the second half of the race. Um, and I think I've closed a 3K in 153 or 154. Who so. closes a 3K in 154? Yeah, so I think- Which I one is it? I think I definitely can run a big PB. So that was when I ran 7.34 in Rabat. So I think I went 59.54. Yeah. So. That's a, that's another record I reckon is, is in your site. What's your Aussie record? 330, yeah, so, 7.32? So yeah, so my son's got a 7.32, so only two seconds. So I think that's why I definitely can get. It's probably just like, I'm not bad at 1500, and obviously I can run a solid 5K, I think. That's kind of the middle ground. So I think that could be, Definitely one I could hopefully well, get close to. What you only ran three thirty three or something? Didn't you? Like, uh, probably, he's, he's miles three thirty two, three thirty three. Yeah, so I think he ran three thirty three. Is it three forty eight? And he's miles better than his fifth and hundred yeah, time, but yeah. at the same time, um, you run. You're, 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 he's two miles. He ran an Australian record for the two miles. I wonder what his three pace was there. What do you run? Eight oh three. Yeah, I think they quit like his. 8042 mile, I think it's equivalent to like 729. Yeah. So it's yeah. actually better than his Aussie record, but I think it might have only been three in around that 734. Okay. Yeah. So did you ever have these chats with, with Rod? Because it, it's it's so funny, man. Like uh, I look back at like whenever someone says to him, it's funny, I still in my head think a 14 year old Stewie. And then it just it sort of trips me out when I think about the fact that, like you put the time on the board that you have. I do little fist pumps for you, but um, <laughs> I've, I've got this memory. I've actually, I think I've mentioned on this podcast before of one day living in Ballarat. And I would have been 25. You were about three foot four, and um, <laughs> <laughs> this was the yeah. year before your four foot one. I remember I was running around Victoria Park, and I was just—it was like an easy hour Friday run or whatever. And I was—I was feeling so tired, and uh, I was running around, and I, I looked up in the distance. I just saw this little fella. I just strutting along, like just, just. Happen away, tap, tap, tap. Um, so, so comfortable. I thought, he looks like he could move pretty well, that kid. Then I realised it was you. And uh, so now, whenever someone says to me, like, did you ever pick Stewie as a, as a real talent? I always go, yeah, I just never admitted it. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's right. Because it was at that time you guys were probably starting to bite me on the heels yeah. <laughs> in terms of performance. But did, did Rod ever, because uh, we obviously all shared a, a mutual coach, uh, Rod Griffin, up in, up in Ballarat, and uh, he was, he was always a super positive sort of, I always, always went to Rob, and, and he's a generous bloke, but he's also, um, I felt like he always instilled a bit of confidence in what he saw as, as your big talents. Did he ever sort of pull you aside and say, mate, like, yeah, you're more talented than you realise, or, um, like, how did he sort of mould your set of foundation, I guess? Yeah, I think Rod, obviously, is a very good coach, especially with juniors, like, he's always really cautious in regards to, I think, compared to a lot of juniors when we were younger, guys like me, Jack Davies, um, James Whitfield, Lane Sullivan, we were probably under-trained, if anything, because obviously he was trying to get us through to seniors and yeah. trying to get us to when we're 20, 20 to 25, we're healthy and able to go to that next level. So I think that was definitely a big difference, um, obviously, after moving to seniors, stepping up the training. But I think, I remember Rod would always tell me, he's like, you're not going to physically develop, you're not going to, obviously, you're going to improve, but he, I, I remember him saying, you're not going to be near your best here, 28, 29, 30. So I'm kind of... I'm a 17 year old guy, I'm thinking, oh, I'm feeling long <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I've got definitely 10, 10 more years of hard work before I get there, so I'm hoping he's right, maybe I will peak when I'm 28, 29, so that'd be pretty good if I can keep improving up to then, but yeah. Rod kind of, yeah, I think that's, to Rod's credit, is compared to a lot of coaches, he thinks long term, it's, not, it's easy to get stuck in the short term goals to try and 
get the guys training harder, get get them results straight away. Why he kind of, I think he took me on when I was 13. Um, most of the athletes he had was probably 12 or 13. So I think he always had that long-term goal that he wasn't, he's obviously a good junior coach, but he had the focus of trying to make good senior athletes. And I think, um, yeah, I think that's why he has, has had such good results with the athletes had in the past. Well, who's he had? He's had, uh, so he's had yourself, obviously. You're probably just playing cream of the crop now. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Collis Birmingham. Yeah, Collis Birmingham. Dua. Um, Dua, I didn't even think. Yeah, he had Victoria Mitchell um, at yes. one point as well. So, yeah, he's had a good list. What was that? Popple? Popple? Uh, <laughs> was, his name, was his name Tyson? Something like that. Incredible. Incredibly yeah. good looking bloke. Just couldn't run. <laughs> nah, yeah, he's, um, he definitely has had some has had some good athletes under his uh, under his belt. Did you have much to do with Matt? Um, Matt Griffin? Yeah, because uh, he always... I, I saw him as... Oh, I think he just naturally kind of played the, the mentor role. In a way, I'm not sure if that was just getting along alongside his dad. And I'm closer to his age than well, I'm, I'm eight years older than you, and he's probably six or seven years older than me, so he's a little bit older. But he was sort of a bloke that if Rod wasn't around, I'd go through for a bit of guidance and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Matt was pretty big for me. I remember when um, I was a junior, he was working at Athletes Victoria, so That's right. yeah. he was always um, there. He'd see your race. He was always there to talk yeah. to you, give you tips or whatever after. So it was kind of like. Obviously, you'd have Rod and Ballarat, but when you went down to Melbourne and competed in the races, you'd have Matt there as well. So you kind of were working with both of them a little bit. Um, and yeah, obviously, Matt was a really good athlete as well, so I think it helped, definitely helped having him um, offering some, some advice as well as Rod. Yeah, so who are you? You're obviously, you're with, you're with Nick now. Yeah. Um, so you're training with MTC? Yeah, so I'm training with the Melbourne Track Club, so I'm lucky enough, I go down to train, I'm training. Most of the year, obviously when we're on base, we're all in our home or wherever we're basing, but training camps in the European season, I'm training with guys like Brett Robertson, Ryan Gregson, um, Jordy Williams, yeah. Matthew Ramsden, guys like that every day. So there's not many, many groups in the world where you get the opportunity to train with that much, that big a talent pool. So I think that's, um, yeah, you kind of, even got to train at most days, you pinch yourself that you're some of the caliber of guys you're training with. Um, you get to not only train with them, you're living with them. So. Yeah, it's kind of um, yeah, it's kind of pretty fun. And you and Brett obviously have a pretty good friendship, don't you? I look at some of the posts and stuff that you guys put up on on Instagram. There's a little bit of man love going on there, surely. Yeah. So um, obviously Brett's one of my closest mates. I think um, pretty much I I probably he, Brett lived in Ballarat for a while, so I think, we, yeah. So we became good friends pretty much. At, I was a junior, I moved to the cross, and he was a senior, and then we kind of kind of met there. He moved to the Ballarat project, and then. Kind of our friendship grew from there. I probably the reason I started coming down to training um, with Nick guys was I was just really close mates with Brett, and he's like, like we would in the off season we'd obviously go out together or whatever, and he's like, oh, you should just come down to train. I think you'd enjoy it because I was kind of training by myself in Melbourne, so I started coming to sessions. I was like, I started improving a little bit, and I was like, obviously you start getting a little bit better. You're like, oh, maybe I start turning up more. So I probably went from coming one or two seconds sessions a week to maybe trying to come to most most of the workouts and runs um, and then kind of yeah I started getting a fair bit better and then I started racing a bit as well and I was like yeah maybe I'll actually start putting a bit more effort into this because the results are getting a, a, a fair bit better so I think I was lucky that Brett gave me that initial invite because if it wasn't for him I don't think I would ever come to the training I would have just been slogging slogging lonely miles by myself in Melbourne um, and obviously trying to get up and train with any of Rod's guys if I could or whatever. Did your training change much moving to Melbourne to and doing that, or uh, changing groups over? So it was similar when I was just training by correspondence with Rod. Yeah. Um, obviously, I just didn't have the group that he had. I probably didn't quite have the trails or around where I lived of going out to Bunnyong or Lake Wendery in Ballarat. Um, but I think the training's similar. Like, when I went to Melbourne Track Club, the train, there's not a huge difference in training. I think it's just the professionalism, and then it's also being able to consistently put in the hard work. It's probably you don't really realise what's needed to reach the elite level until yeah. you see guys like Brett Robertson, Collis Burning and Ryan Gregson, you see it's not only for them, it's not only just the training they do, it's what they do outside to prepare themselves to be ready to be to be the best they can. So it's probably until you see that side of the sport, it's kind of probably hard to understand um, what's needed to really take that big step forward. This is one thing I've been interested in chatting with, uh, like we were in with Geordie a couple of weeks ago and um, I had Jordan Guzman on a few weeks before that and I was just, I was speaking about 
um, you know, the role of being a great runner. And I think a lot of us look at it and go, okay, we just assume that in order to be a great runner, you just have to run a lot. Yeah. But as you say, like the professionalism that goes into it is, is something huge. When, you, when someone like you talks about the professionalism of, uh, I just, sorry, I'm laughing. Which is too much we're sitting in some way. And uh, this is hilarious. Um, uh, when you talk about the professionalism, yeah, you're obviously not talking about the equivalent of quotes in like this podcast studio in a takeaway outlet. Uh, what... What are, you, what are you referring to? Yeah, so you obviously you're, you're running day in, day out, but what else goes into a professional athlete? Yeah, I think a lot of it's the preparation, so it's the rehab, um, trying to do anything you can, getting the massages, the, the strength work, just to make sure you don't get injured, because obviously it's about the building consistency in training, so you've got to try and avoid any getting sick, getting injuries, so you try and avoid them. But I think you soon realise, like, towards elite-level sport, a lot of it, Everyone's so good. There's not much difference. A lot of it is that mental side as well. Um, when you're like, when you're at the top level, you look around. Every every guy's good on the start line of the diamond league or whatever. So you kind of you need to develop that the, the hardness to the, and the self belief that you can compete. So I think that's the big step moving the Melbourne Track Club. It was uh, obviously a fair bit physical as well, but I think it was that mental side. Like you, if you show any weakness in those big races, you're gonna get flogged. So it's like yeah. you got to be able to. Um, not only physically be there, but mentally you've got to be ready to compete. Um, and obviously you've got to yeah, have that underlying belief, I think. That's the, that's the big thing you need. For sure. And in what can be a very isolating sport at times as well. You know, you're out there for you know, a lot of hours, you know, most days of the week, if not twice a day, some days. And, you know, have that group around you, which you know, really can keep you up. If you have a bad day, sit off the back and still get towed through. And when you're on, then you, know, you can be in that role with that leader and it just must be that, that much more easier just to get out there and train. Yeah, I think... I definitely find that. I think most of the boys would. I think when you get trained by yourself, I'm like, oh, I don't, I, like, I hate warming up, I hate warming yeah. down for sessions when you're by yourself. But when I'm in London living with the guys, it's like, it's just fun getting out. Like, yeah. the, twi- like the 20 minutes or whatever we're warming up, it's just like, everyone's just bent. Like, there's a lot of bent. Eh? Yeah. Like, it's so funny. Even going on runs, like, we're just messing around. Um, so you kind of, especially when you're on, say, a long run or something, it's like, Nine, like 90 minutes or an hour 45 by yourself oh. and with just your thoughts uh-huh. can yeah. sometimes be pretty, pretty <laughs> average but when you're running with guys like Red, Geordie um, an hour 45 feels like you're out there for 10 minutes uh-huh. it's, it's around. a catch up mate yeah Essentially, exactly yeah. Um, so yeah it definitely makes it a lot easier especially when you're away from home when we're living overseas for so many months just having guys that pretty much feel like they're family members to you um, yeah it's like, obviously makes it a lot easier. How many months of the year are you away on average? Uh, so I think this year I was probably, I started here for indoors and World Cross, I was probably away for about five weeks and then yeah. I was probably away four months, four, four and a bit months during the main European season. So probably all up, yeah, it's probably five and a half months of the year. So yeah. Almost half a year. So yeah. I think it, it is hard being away that long, um, but I also think we pretty much leave so we're here for the Australian summer, and then when it starts, the weather starts getting average in Melbourne or Australia, we're going to the European summer. Yes. So you think about it, we're probably about 11 months a year, we're over chasing summer. So uh, it's not, when you think of it that way, it's not too bad. Yeah, is that something you have to consciously do, like try and look at the bright side of the full-time travel? Because I know like any any initial holiday, it's exciting, but then when it becomes the norm, it can be like, oh, I miss home, miss my friends, miss my family. Like, how has it taken you a little while to get used to that whole process of being overseas? Yeah. It seem like a bloke that much would really phase you. I can't yeah, imagine I you getting too like, I think it's one of those things where it's like, you just got to be able to adapt, like, wherever you are. It's like, whatever you're doing, it's an opportunity. It's pretty fun. Like, not many people have that same opportunity. So you got to obviously enjoy it. Um, Travelling and running doesn't always last forever. So you kind of got to enjoy it while you're there. But I think the, um, the big thing is, I know when I was doing my teaching placements at school and I was in a school or like sitting in a PE office and I was like, I'll tell you what, running's not bad. When you're, <laughs> you're, tra- you're training a lot, but other than that, you're not sitting in an office, you're not, um, you're getting to travel a lot of other places, you're not working nine to five, five days a week. So when you kind of think of that way, you're just like, yeah, you're kind of living the dream in some sort of way. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, there's been plenty of days where I've been in an office and, and wished that the running dream had worked out. So I can I can back you on that statement. I know that would be 100 percent true. Um, when you uh, one thing I was interested in, you said before when you're traveling with uh when, with the boys or with the whole crew, um, it's almost like a family. But like I don't know if it's anything like my family, but every now and then there's a few fights in there. Like how do you how do you go with the, just that constant contact with these guys? Do you ever get sick of each other? 
I promise I'll edit this part out if you say anything bad about Jordy. Nah, maybe Jordy. Nah, nah. I think he's too handsome to be angry I think it's kind of the. Everyone's just on so well. I think the core group of there's probably eight, seven, eight guys of us. It's just like, obviously, it's like a normal family. You you get annoyed at people for stuff, but I think it's at the end of the day we're all just good mates. So it's like it's kind of anything. Like you might have a spill, but then the next day you wake up, everyone's back being best mates. So um, there's nothing too big to ride home on. Luckily, um, it's kind of. It's just like if anything's gone wrong, you just there's cafes you can go to if you want to avoid people for a couple of hours or whatever. So. I think we are, yeah, we're pretty fortunate that we've got a good group of guys, so nothing too big goes down. Uh, that's good, that's good. So you, you look like you're about to say something then, Matty. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so, you, so you've been back now for a, a few weeks, you just... Uh, so yeah, two weeks, pretty much. Okay, and so yeah, and you're just getting back into your, your full term. You said you went for like an hour 45 this morning? Yeah. So was that one a lonely run or were you... Uh, so I had a mate that came for the full run, so that was Sweet. pretty nice. Um, but yeah, first week back doing sessions, um, it's obviously pretty tough. Even though um, you, you, you didn't stop training for too long, it just takes you a session or two to start getting breathing back. Even I find that, like I was out of the sport where I was, I was competing really, really, uh, sorry, competing, I was, I was training very randomly, sporadically. I went in the gym and just, I always promised Jessie once I finished running, I'd go and like work on my pecs and my biceps <laughs> so she couldn't see my ribs because um, it's a, uh, that was for, for so long. Just being so skinny, I thought, oh man, I'm getting to the gym. I want to get big, and uh, that lasted about six minutes until I started running again and lost it all. <laughs> but um, I was going somewhere with that. Where was I going? Um, oh, even even me when I get back into the training scene, I'm like uh, after five years, it, like it just clicks back over. So two weeks would be two weeks would be nothing. Yeah, I always so, think when you come back off the break, you just like the first thirty minute run, you're like. You play around a five minute case and you feel like you're training water. You gas. You feel like you're putting in a two minute fifty effort. Um, and I always think when I'm out there, I'm just like, how did I used to run for like an hour and a half continuously? Like, how does that happen? But then you put a week or two training by, and you're like, your body remembers how to do it, and you're all good. So yeah, with your um, with your like the MTC crew, it's it's obviously I don't know if it's just lucky that you guys just managed to get a, a crew where you're all best mates or whatever. But is it like a almost a selection thing where someone comes along to have a chat and you guys? See whether they fit the part or whether they're going to be a good fit for the group. Or do you just do you, like if someone's running fast enough, do you just go right here? Well, you're welcome to join us for a while and, and see if it works. How does yeah, that, how does that go? Everyone obviously they get a chance. Like, I think anyone coming to training, um, join in. Like we're we're pretty open to that, especially when we're in Australia. But I think at the end of the day, obviously if they can bring a bit, add some to the group, that's the main thing. Um, but obviously, as you're seeing footy clubs and stuff, cultures everything. So it's like you want people who are going to obviously get on with other people more than anything as well. So I think we're just lucky all the guys we have get on well. So, so far so good in regards to that. So when do you do most of your work here in Melbourne? Uh, so we'll train, so it kind of rotates, we'll train. Uh, we'll do longer at like threshold work, sometimes at Crawford Racecourse. Um, Wattle Park on Saturday we'll do hill race. Wattle Park is a, a real place. Yeah, do you do your thresholds out there at all? Or do you ever uh, do any hill thresholds? So we sometimes do, yeah, so we sometimes do hill sprints and then do thresholds on so there's a top oval up there, yep. which is a bit over, I think it's just under 500 metres around the oval. Um, so that's probably the hardest sessions we do. So we'll do 200 metre reps up this steep as hill and then we'll have a couple minutes break and then do some threshold. Um, I think that out of all the training we do, that's the one session where you honestly feel like you might screw up. Yeah, really. Yeah. So I suppose that anywhere we go in the world, I still think that's almost the hardest session we'll do, just because you push in, there's, there's just no recovery, and obviously the hill sprints, you're hitting pretty hard. So you finish in a hill sprint, banged up, and then you're having a minute or whatever and jumping into a threshold. So there's no rest in those sessions, which obviously make it pretty tough. Bloody hell. So, like, I reckon, when you look at Australian training, it's, when we were talking about this with, uh, with, with Jocko, he's another boy too. Oh, he actually, he, he debuted on the podcast last week or the week before. Um, we were speaking about how the, the training scene in Australia at it all, it's, it's very similar, like it's a, it, it's, it's strange, it's not really a, like everyone's obviously individual and what they respond to and how they, how they recover and how they perform and things, yet the training scene is very, very generic in Australia, like yeah, you've got your Sunday long run, your Tuesday, Thursday, yeah. Saturday sessions, um, is that something that, that you've tailored or is that just something that you've adjusted to? How did you, I, I'm just interested for anyone out there who's maybe starting to run their first couple of marathons or starting to run their first bit of distance, people going, how do I actually structure a week of training? Like, do you want to paint a little bit of a picture of, of what a week in, in the life of Stewie's training looks like? Yeah, so I think the first thing is 
you got to try and make sure. I don't think any certain training suits anyone is kind of you. You got to tailor it to suit you. I know for me personally, there's um between session days I'll run really slow. Like some days I run 440, 450k pace on my runs just because I know that I'm not. Uh, there's some guys who can day in day out smash training sessions and they're, they're fine. They recover. They'll be able to keep doing it, but. It's not like, I really worked out, I'm not that kind of guy who can just keep banging out high, high intensity training. So for me, it's kind of, I've got to do the intensity once, like maybe two or three times a week, and then the rest I've just got to go really easy. Um, and that obviously what I've worked out, I've got the best results for. But in regard to a normal training rig, pretty much we'll have an easy run Monday, um, so two runs for us, and then Tuesday we'll do longer reps, so maybe eight by one K, or four by mile or something in that regard. Um, Wednesday, another long run. Even like the 10 or something? Yeah, so going back here, we might be eight by one K to 10, four by two K. And then Wednesday, we'll just do another run, so maybe six or 70 minutes. Thursday, we'll do thresholds, maybe eight or nine K threshold, probably 75 to 80% of max heart rate. Um, And then Friday, just an easy run. Saturday, we'll either be longer reps or heel reps. some regard whether they're short or long um, kind of we mix that up depending on the point of the season so yeah. we'll probably out of season we'll do longer stuff while in season we'll do the kind of the shorter sharp sharp and work getting ready to race um, and then Sunday's just a long run weather yeah. some people might some of the marathon boys run two and a half hours or some of the shorter guys might run 90 minutes depending on what, what event they're training for what fascinates me about that is you know you're a 331 athlete and looking at that training week there's not an awful lot of you know running Anywhere near that sort of pace, so obviously you respond to the strength, you know, during sort of yeah. Day. So yeah. I think before I ran three, three, one, I think in training I'd run a lap in under sixty seconds. Wow. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of I'm kind of guy that um, my body can't handle high intensity training, so I I won't do a lot of quick stuff. Oh, uh, that's insane. Just thinking that really, isn't it? Because yeah, that's yeah. what I, that's what I think. Like I probably touch on sixty seconds probably the before I ran three, three, one at power, yeah. so I can. The quickest I was going was, yes, that 60 second pace. Why I think 331 works out 55 second laps. So, <laughs> yeah, I've um, seen 4 minute 1500 guys try to snatch out for under repeats in 60 yeah, seconds. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of a lot of people will like, there's a lot of guys like Marcel Lewandowski was third at World Championship from Poland. He'll do high, like, he'll be doing high intensity stuff. He'll be spiked up running 23 second 200 reps, yeah, like 50 flat 400 reps. So, it's kind of you got to work what decide what works for you. I'm kind of not a guy. I'm probably not as strong as a lot of the other guys, so I can't handle the smashing out high intensity reps. So you kind of got to work out what works for you. And I kind of worked out that the the consistent um, kind of longer based reps is probably what gets the best results for me personally. Yeah, well, that's interesting because I used to. I think one of the big misconceptions in the I guess it's not a misconception as much as it is just taking some time to get to know what you respond to, like you just mentioned. But, um, I remember at the start of each track season, people would come up to me and go, oh, how'd your race go? And they go, yeah, I ran four minutes, done no speed work at all. And it was almost like a little bit of, it was like yeah, they yeah. you know I mean? like they're holding on to a little bit of hope that that extra speed work is going to really help them out. But I think just you saying that, like I've, I've been in the sport for, I've been involved in the sport for 15, 16 years, and that's, and that's still almost surprising. It does surprise me, the fact that you've run 331 off, like no training under 60 seconds per lap pace. And, and, and that's something I'd encourage anyone out there to, to consider don't just don't just jump on board and do what everyone's doing based on the fact that everyone else is doing it take some time to go how am i how am i feeling how am i responding yeah i think that's a big the big thing you got to do i think there's obviously ways of training that have been scientifically proven that obviously work but i think it's you kind of got to be able to adapt it they're like no athletes are saying so i think you kind of got to try try things and kind of work out what what's best for you um it's, it's kind of easy just to follow what everyone else is doing but I think you look at most most of the top guys, they'll have individualized training, like they'll know what they need to do and you kind of got to just, yeah, work that out and then once you work that out, it's obviously a lot easier to try and um, try and find that improvement because you kind of work out what's what's going to be best for you performance-wise. Yeah. How much of your training uh, are you doing that once you finish, you're on your hands and knees, just crook as a trick? Because one, one thing that I've, I've started doing a little bit more of is getting involved, um, sort of working with running based sports footy is one of them and I, I had a history in the footy scene and one thing that shocked me transitioning from the, the running scene to the footy scene was it's so celebrated in the football world if at the end of the session you're on your hands and knees and you're vomiting 
week in, week out, people are like, oh yeah, it's a sign of a really hard effort. And maybe it's good from time to time. But my personal opinion was, mate, like you're going to be able to do that once or twice, and then you're going to break down, you're going to feel like absolute rubbish. Um, whereas you sort of suggested it in the sense that you hadn't done anything under the 60 second pace that there might be another option in terms of how to improve in the running board than just smashing yourself yeah, to the same way you're broken. I think there's not, there's not often sessions where I'm, like you're obviously finishing, you're tired, but there's not many sessions where I'm not finishing going, oh, I could do another rep or I could do two more reps. So it's kind of like, you kind of want to go to a level where you're going hard, obviously to find that next level improvement, but it's, you can't, you can't just absolutely smash yourself and expect you to be able to back up in two days time and do another session. So you kind of got to find that nice limit where you work it hard enough to get like a progressive overload, but not, not too much where you're going into, you're going like working overtime where your body can't recover and back it up the next session. So it's like kind of that sweet spot where you're probably working around 85 to 90% of what you can do. Um, and trying to do that more, like more frequently than just every trying hit three sessions is absolutely smashing them out. Trying to put weeks of the eighty to ninety percent intensity together, rather than just going all as hard as you can for a shorter period of time. Yeah, I think I was watching. I don't know if it was a David Rudisha session or a like a train hard. Win Easy documentary or something. It had something to do with Kenyans. Yeah. And um, one of the most surprises there in the distance one said, um, one of the things that surprised me was what you just said, they were they were consciously avoiding maxing out for every session just because they're like, no, we've got to be back up at 5.30 tomorrow morning to go for a run. Like, it's crazy for us just to to bow to ourselves here. Yeah, I think yeah, I think the, one of the big things is you've got, to, you've got to be able to listen to your body. I think... If you're tired or whatever, you, like your body's giving you a sign. So I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. They think they got to keep if they if they've got a niggle or they're they're tired, they got to keep hammering the training and they'll come good. I think you got to you got to learn to listen to your body. If it's, if it's tired or you feel fatigued, something's probably you doing your training's not right. If you're not able to back up the next day or the day after, so it's kind of it's a fine line. Uh, but obviously you, you get a bit better as you get you, you kind of work it out a bit more of like. Obviously pushing hard, but making sure you're not pushing too hard where you can't back it up. Yeah, it's funny, man, because uh, I was—I've been—I dropped on the podcast, so it was official. But I was so disgusted with my marathon last. Oh, was it last? No, yeah, last year. Yeah. That I thought, okay, I'm coming back for a second, so I'm going to text you, and I'm going to try and hang on to a couple of these long runs and completely go against the advice you just told me. <laughs> no, um, but uh, what did I say? That what, what did you just say? I was going to say what you were saying before. I remember when I was an 18 year old and running around in Geelong, and you'd hear blokes like they troop always say that you run your best after three years of consistent, just good training. Yeah. Not a year of, you know, unsustainable where, you know, you're yes. building up to this stage. He was just like, always used to preach to anyone who would listen really. It was really good at it. It was just like, get it done, you know, build up that base, and then it will really start to happen for you. And I think there's a lot of people out there, you know, just have that really sustainable level. We used to work with a bloke who'd go out for a you know, 15k run every Sunday, but then be limping for three days of work. And, and he was, you know, really excited about that. And I told him, I'd be more impressed if you were running 5k every day. And I, I think there's a bit of that mentality, like you were saying, of just, you know, building up to that ridiculous level and just saying, you know, we're not getting done day in day out to yeah, yeah, to you actually just sparked the thought. That's, yeah. what was, that's what I was trying to get to before. Is um, so I'm in the process of trying to do this marathon, I'm going to run this marathon <laughs> next year, and I'm about two weeks into my training. And just last night, um, I felt a little bit like, oh crap, I think, I think I'm on the brink of potentially getting sick. But for me, I was excited just to just to see that gradual build up and consistency of the long run, long run, long run. Yeah. That last night, I'm like, oh, I know I shouldn't. But I want to go ahead and do that long run just because, like, I can record it on Strava and it looks good and it gives me confidence. But I think it does. Um, in such an obsessive sport like running, um, it, it can be it can be very easy to get lured into that uh, misconception that like just get it done no matter what um, is yeah. the best option. And it's just it's ridiculous. I mentioned to Geordie last week. It's funny how it crosses over into so many points. It's the same in the comedy world. Like <laughs> so many of the boys doing comedy, it's like as long as you're doing more sets. Like, yeah, you're doing better, but some people have done 365 sets in a year, and they're shit. <laughs> um, but uh, is that something that you've sort, of, you've sort of wrestled with a little bit in terms of, um, like, that obsessiveness of, of what the training can become can take you away from actually um, 
looking at what's the best option rather than just, oh, let's do more. Yeah, I think it is easy, especially to have that short-term view where you're just like, oh, I'll smash this run, I'll, I'll run 20 more k's this week than what I would have if I had the day off and try and get over this cold or whatever. But I think you kind of want to look, in the, look further ahead because um, if you can avoid a cold, you're not going to have it lingering. Why? If you, if you get one, you're going to miss a week of training. So it's kind of, you've got to have that long, long-term vision. But I think the other thing is, yeah, you've got to try and, I think a lot of people overanalyze stuff, uh, especially with GPS watch or whatever, they're looking at the pace they're running, um, they're obviously trying to break Strava records or whatever. <laughs> I think, I was, like most of our training, I won't even wear a GPS watch. I just have a, the Timex stopwatch, so I'll just run on my easy days. I don't even know how far I run, I just run for an hour. I could run 12k, I could run 15. I'm just kind of running on how I feel. Mm. If I'm tired, I'll run slow. If I'm feeling good, maybe I'll get go a bit quicker. But, so like, literally my train, I'll know, um, I never know how many kilometers I even run in a week. It's because I don't even record it. I kind of, you kind of, it's more process based where you're just focusing on um, making sure you, you're trying to tick day in, day out, than rather than trying to run further than you did the week before or trying to hit 200Ks in a week or whatever. It's kind of just focusing on the process of working day by day, just trying to get a bit better. It's such a trade off with some things like Strava, isn't it? Because you can be having days where five minute days and you know, and then, but that's what you need to run, just to you know, get through the run. And you can also be having days when you run four tens and you're feeling like you're flying, yeah. and not even you know puffing at all. And it's just get obsessed with that, you know, K pace. It can really be detrimental. Thinking that oh, what's going on? I'm not running four tens here, like, and I'm yeah. feeling worse, like you know. And it really can play with your mind. And I think there's something in that which is you know turning the watch off every now and then, just enjoying the run. Well, is that part of the reason you switched yours off, or you just never really been into the, uh, the GPS sort of system? No, I kind of, I don't really like knowing what pace I'm running at, because yeah. it's kind of like, it's like what you're saying, if you, sometimes you like, you might feel like you're going really hard if you're running 4 minute 30s, yeah. why uh, um, other times maybe you feel like you're going slow and you're running full flats, why, mm. it's kind of like, I just don't think, you you kind of don't want to have a basis you're basing every effort on, um, kind of, I'll just say, yeah, I'll just have to stop watching, I'll just run on so I think it's easy to get caught up with time so mm-hmm. say I think I should be running 4 minute k's if I'm tired I'll be looking at that, the watch and being like oh, okay I've got to pick it up I've got to run 4 minute k's well when I've got the watch switched off I'm just listening to my body it's tired I might I don't know what I'm running I could be running 5 minute k's for yeah. all I know but I'm still going to get the 60 minutes done are you like that for your threshold work? Um, so yeah I'll, I'll, I'll generally just run on feel like yeah. get, I think you get to a point where you just know yeah. your limit I think you do enough of it you know um, when you're running like I can tell you get pretty good at estimating what you're running at and it's kind of I think the big thing is I, a lot of the Africans do they're, they're trained based on they're just listening to their body how hard they're going so I think I think that's a big thing people don't realise is you got to be able to listen to your body and how, how that's feeling and then obviously adapt your training depending on that yeah it's funny man like I've, I've thought about this a little bit just in in a whole heap of areas like I, I love the technology world and how much it can offer you but at the same time, I remember um, like uh, one of my good mates, actually one of my best mates, Adam Dinnick, we were laughing because uh, he came and stayed with me when, when me and Jesse were living in London. And he had this little joke because he just got a new watch and it measured your, your um, sleep efficiency. And um, we set him up a rubbish bed. It was like a camper bed at the, at the foot of our bed. And uh, he's like, mate, I can't believe the treatment. I've come over to see you, and this is what I've offered. Um, but he woke up the next day and he was laughing because he got a sleep PB. <laughs> and I said, like, we were, he was laughing as well. Like, he wasn't taking it seriously. He was, um, he was completely mucking around. Um, but he's like, mate, look at this. I've just got a sleep PB on this rubbish bed. But it can. It can be, uh, we sort of cover it with the case. I don't want to start uploading my stuff on Strava, running 530s, going all that stuff, horrendous. Um, but it's this real balance in a world that just keeps progressing in, in a technological sense. I think a lot of us are losing touch with just being able to stay in tune with our body. So for, for you to say, oh, I'm actually just running the field, it's like, oh, well, really? But it's like the it's the most natural way in a sense. Yeah. To do, it makes sense to me. Because what do you do when you race? What do you do when you race? Yeah, yeah you don't exactly. like to start with like, <laughs> and my heart rate's too high. I think yeah. that's kind of a positive when you're kind of training like that. You get used to this in your body because that's how it's going to, when you race, it's like, you're trying to run at a max level where you're not going to go over overboard. So you kind of you got to work out that pace or that feeling yeah. where you can you know you're going to be able to maintain that pace until at least the towards the end when you can either pick it up again or at least maintain through. So I think being able to understand the pace and how your body feels in certain intensities is working out obviously um, 
makes a big difference when it comes to race day. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Cool. We've got about, about 10 minutes though. Is that, is that right for you? Yeah. About 10 more minutes? Um, I reckon I'm looking at the eyes with some of stuff. I think they're trying to tell me to get out. Think the listeners are hearing any noise in the background. They're playing a couple of rounds here. Just as a, as a sort of final point, we've, we've touched on life outside of running a little bit, but how do you, how do you switch off from the the running mode, is there anything that you do just to, all right, all right I'm, I'm out, I'm done. Like you have a few beers, you watch TV, you read books, you chase ladies, I'm sure you would. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's kind of a, a bit of everything. Obviously, I'm still studying. Um, so I know at the start of the year, I was still studying full-time, so I was doing, I think I did three subjects in semester one. So that's kind of what I was focusing on. The majority of my time when I wasn't running, just trying to make sure I pass those subjects. But other than that, it's just, we spend a lot of time recovering, so you Obviously, a fair bit of Netflix, whatever. Um, what are you watching? Uh, I've just finished Animal Kingdom. So. Dude, everyone talks about Animal Kingdom. Have you watched that as well? I, haven't seen I need to watch it. Yeah. All right, <laughs> I need to watch it. All right. It's cool because it's based on a like it's a, obviously American series now, but it's originally based on an Australian family. Oh yeah, so, right. it's kind of cool that it's got an Aussie link. Yeah, it's very uh, good. <laughs> so yeah, it is a good show. So yeah, I only just finished that a couple of days ago. So, so I'm gonna give you a recommendation, and you're gonna judge me hard for it. Um, have you got Stan? Or SBS catch up or something? Yeah. Um, Handmaid's Tale. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. It's so dark. It's, uh, have you heard of it? Oh, I did. I, I got through about half a season. It got a bit repetitive for me. But yeah, yeah, really? Yeah. I can't believe you just critiqued my taste in front of that. <laughs> um, it's so funny because Jesse, she watched a whole season and I've seen it. And it had some pretty full-on scenes in there. Like, yeah. Great, come on, like, what are you watching? <laughs> anyway, she went, honestly, it's really good. The storyline's great. Like, I feel like it's... Anyway, anyone who watched it know what I'm talking about. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an intense, dark sort of show. But um, we, we restarted it. And I'm, I'm obsessed. We just finished the second season. And... Uh, but I can't get enough. Anyway, I've hijacked you. I'm going to watch Animal Kingdom as well. <laughs> There's my recommendation to everyone. <laughs> I'll try. I'm kind of been looking for what to watch next. I've kind of skipped through How I Met Your Mother about eight times. So <laughs> I'll um, yeah, try and find some new content so I might check it out. <laughs> you got any other recommendations that people need to check out before they get out of here? I'd say one, the, probably my favourite on all the Netflix is probably the scenes for the Narcos. Oh, dude, yeah. great, yeah, great. Yeah. Really good. All the greens in that one. Yeah, no, that's actually a good place to finish. It makes us all feel like a little bit more of a gangster. Um, dude, well, thanks so much for coming on board. That was exactly. good, guys. Mate, anytime. We'll, uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to get you back on board when you run 329. Fingers crossed. That, that's actually not your criteria to come back on. Yeah. Either way, but, uh, or 1259. Yeah. Either one. 1254. <laughs> come on. All right, thanks, bro. Let's do it. Thanks,